This week on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Young Women United demanded that we do not consider poor young women of color as people that can be just thrown away by society. I'm Neil Harvey. It's women changing the story, mother bears, polar bears, and women's leadership on The Bioneers. Women around the world are finding the courage to listen to what's in their hearts, lift their voices, and speak their minds. And I feel strongly that that kids shouldn't be the environmental ambassadors, actually. That that's our job as grown-ups. The fact that we've loaded up the atmosphere with so many heat-trapping gases now, that the climate is becoming unstable, and our oceans are now 30% more acid than they used to be. Women's truths, perspectives, and voices have been largely missing from the global conversation. But that's beginning to change. The Op-Ed Project is an amazing organization that tries to diversify the range of voices we hear in the media. Because when you think about op-eds, the opinion pages in the Chronicle, the New York Times, the Washington Post, what percentage do you think are written by women? If you guessed more than 15%, you'd be wrong. Why such a gross imbalance in perspectives? It might seem that the world's male-dominated, inherently biased institutions just haven't been that interested in listening. It turns out, however, that it's also because women haven't raised their voices to write and speak in the public sphere often enough. It's an old story, one that is changing as women awaken to their purposes and power. Then my daughter was born, and the thing that I noticed was it was like someone turned the volume up on everything that my heart felt when I looked at the world. And suddenly, you know, it's like her life was so sweet and so precious, and my understanding of the intensity of what it takes to actually sustain a human life and the sheer amount of work. And in that moment, I realized two things about mothers. I realized how vulnerable we are in trying to protect our kids in this world, and how fierce we are, and that mother bear instinct, and what a fierce force that is for social change. Women everywhere are rising to act in leadership, especially in social, environmental, and reproductive justice movements. It's often leadership from the inside out, that mother bear instinct to protect, defend, or heal what they love. It's more about leading from alongside or from behind rather than from in front. It's often led by listening and by collaboration, not by being the boss. It's leadership that reaches out across differences, that expands our vision of what community is, what family can be. We are focusing on the core value of family that so many of us hold deeply in our communities. And we are changing societal norms and policies to reflect the way our families are in this country. Central to the work that we do is the transformation of power across race, gender, class, etc. And that we start with those who are the most marginalized and those who are the most impacted. This is Women Changing the Story, Mother Bears, Polar Bears, and Women's Leadership, with justice advocates Rose Aguiar, Sandra Steingraber, Vanessa Daniel, and Evelyn Shen. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature.
In the next half hour, stories of change from four outspoken women leaders, two working in the reproductive justice movement, a scientist focused on climate and chemicals, and a journalist who's getting women's voices into the media. Rose Aguiar hosts Your Call, a public radio talk show on KALW-FM in San Francisco. She's the author of Red Highways, A Liberal's Journey into the Heartland. A few years ago, she attended a training program at the Women's Media Center, whose mission is to amplify women's voices. Katie Ornstein, who runs the op-ed project, came into our class and said, if you were to write an op-ed for the New York Times tomorrow, what would it be about? Great ideas, education, healthcare, climate change, you name it. So why haven't you written it yet? Well, I was in a class with amazing women. One woman was on the Nobel Prize-winning team with Al Gore. Another woman runs an amazing black women's organization in Chicago. I mean, all kinds of amazing women. Well, I don't know enough. I need to do more research. My title isn't long enough. Why would anyone listen to me? And I said, Katie, when you do this program with men, what do they say? I haven't had time. That's it. (laughs) And even if they are questioning themselves, they won't admit it. And then I said, well, have you ever taught a class of women? And have they ever not had this issue? And she said, once. Goldman Sachs executives. (laughs) Right? Can you imagine what they have to go through to get to that place? So now I'm teaching an op-ed project in Dallas, Texas with 10 activists. And we had a little bit of this in the beginning. And it's kind of shocking to me because here I am dealing with women who run amazing organizations, domestic violence shelters, child abuse places, environmental organizations. But I, I haven't done enough. I haven't written a book about this. I haven't um, you know, taken enough classes on this. And I always say, OK, you know David Brooks? He's on NPR every week. He's on the NewsHour every week. He has a New York Times column. And he's on the Sunday shows maybe once or twice a month. Do you think he goes to bed at night and says, you know, they want me to talk about tax cuts tomorrow, and I haven't written a book about taxes. I think I'm going to pass. Never! Rose Aguiar says it's time for women to get over the self-limiting idea that they're not experts. Time for women journalists to search out the hidden stories of ordinary women and spread their voices widely on the airwaves. This is the role that we as journalists need to play, is we need to take your stories and tell them, and you need to demand more from the media because we are not doing our jobs. Even the progressive media, you have the authors on, you've got the professors on. Let's give them a break once in a while and let's bring on the domestic worker, the minimum wage worker, um, the mom who just lost her job, the child who is in a gang. We did a show about Foxconn where a lot of the Chinese workers are making our iPhones and committing suicide because the working conditions are so bad, they had to put a net around the building and they brought in monks to pray with these young people so they wouldn't jump off the building. There's a great organization called China Labor Watch and we found a a number of blog posts by a woman, we didn't know how old she was, it didn't matter, but we said, oh, let's bring her on. She's written amazing posts about what these people are facing. And so we called her and said, we're doing a show, we want you to come on. And she sounded young and she said, you know, I haven't been on the radio before. I think I'm going to ask my boss to do it. And I said, let me guess, is your boss a man? Yes. I said, okay, hold on. You are coming on our show. And I kind of got mad because this happens over and over again. I had to talk to her for 10 minutes to convince her to come on the show. But I did. And she was incredible.
radio talk show host Rose Aguiar. Biologist, author, poet, and cancer survivor Sandra Steingraber is also an environmental activist and mother. In her latest book, Raising Elijah, Protecting Children in an Age of Environmental Crisis, Steingraber shows how the intimate world of parenting connects to the public world of policymaking. Well, I pay a lot of attention to the feedback I get from my kids. I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old, and so they're now old enough to know what it is I do. So my parenting has changed because the things that I do involve really frightening things, right? So one of the things I research is the disappearance of the plankton in the ocean caused by global climate change. Our plankton stocks are in trouble. Plankton make us half of the oxygen we breathe. So I have data spread out all over my desk about things like that. When my kids were little, they couldn't read that stuff. And I felt, and still do, feel strongly that that kids shouldn't be the environmental ambassadors, actually. That they shouldn't become atmospheric junior rangers. That that's our, our job as grown-ups to solve. I mean, this happened on my watch, you know, as an adult. The fact that we've loaded up the atmosphere with so many heat-trapping gases now, the, the climate is becoming unstable, and our oceans are now 30% more acid than they used to be. So that's for me to deal with and not for them to worry about. But now that they're old enough to be curious and know and read, I have to kind of pay attention to the feedback that I get from them. So here's one of my discoveries lately. So when my son was four, he asked to be a polar bear for Halloween. And I went to work sewing him a polar bear costume. And so I thought it would be fun for Elijah and I to... I couldn't exactly remember where the ears, you know, should be placed on the head because polar bears' ears, because they live in an Arctic place, are located differently than other bears. So I wanted this to be, like, all anatomical. And, um, but, of course, as soon as we, I opened my files about polar bears, they're all about, you know, drowning polar bears, hermaphroditic polar bears because of PCB contamination. And, and, um, and I wasn't sure how much of this he was going to understand, but he didn't, so we could just look at pictures. And and so when I went out trick-or-treating with him that night, it occurred to me that this polar bear costume was almost certainly going to outlast the species, right? So the polar bears are on track now for extinction probably around mid-century, and that this polar bear costume would probably still be around. And so out on the street, I saw all these kids dressed up as species that are vanishing, you know, uh, the little brown bat, the monarch butterfly, the kid who was the penguin, my kid who was the polar bear, all these species are going. We're in the midst of this massive extinction. And I'm not going to have a conversation with my kid about that. So there's this silence. I'm keeping these things that suddenly, like, my knees almost buckle when I'm on the street, imagining all these costumes hanging in these closets without their real-life antecedents in the world. And how will kids who read about these animals in their picture books, you know, babar, um, how will they, will they still care about them once they're vanished? Will they still want to be them? So having this realization, and, and I want to just drop to the ground, but where I'm trick-or-treating with my kids, so my smile's on my, you know, still on my face, and we're going to have a nice evening because this is my one night. I'm, mom's not working, and I'm out with my kid in the street. So I'm, I'm entirely keeping the secret from him. That was when he was four. Now that my, my children are older, I, I'm realizing that the time to have the climate change discussion is now, and, and it, it's... It's like having the sex talk, only what you end up with a climate change talk instead of 
the creation of a family is the dissolution of, the decreation of life, right? And so it's a very sad story. And it turns out, at least for my family, that coming up with exactly the right story is not the task. The task is to show your kids that you're on the job, that you're doing something about it. That's what makes them feel safe. Sandra Steingraber says she no longer feels she must hide the truth of our environmental crisis from her young children. She's their mother, and it's her job to protect them. That means taking action and speaking out. And that insight came to me from a third-grade teacher who had been retired, who had taught kids all throughout the 50s and 60s during the Cuban Missile Crisis of, when was that, 62? She was teaching eight-year-olds at the time, and kids were openly traumatized. So she had actually a classroom discussion about it, and then finally ended up asking her students how many of them thought that nuclear war was inevitable. And all of the kids raised their hands except one little girl. And she asked that girl, and what makes you think nuclear war is not going to happen? And she said, because my parents are peace activists, and they're going to stop it. So that's my model for parenting now. It's like my kids have to share me with the world. I travel 150 days of the year. I help do homework sometimes by phone at night, but sometimes I'm at the podium or I'm at a press conference, and so they're kind of on their own. But when I come home, I have to make sure I, we have time to have that conversation so even if they're not curious, they can hear from me what it is I've been doing, and then I'm doing this on their behalf, so hopefully they can grow up and not have to do it. I mean, my daughter wants me, you know, can you, can you ban fracking already, Mama, because it's really boring and I don't want to ha- have to, like, carry on, you know, like, don't pass the torch to me, and like, I'm on it, I'm, don't worry. <laughs> and then we feel safe. So that, that kind of, I pay a lot of attention to those signals. <laughs> When women summon the courage to take action, they become role models for their daughters and sons who see that a woman's place is anywhere she wants to be, in the media, in politics, and in real, honest relationship with her kids. More about motherhood as a fierce force for social change when we return. This is Women Changing the Story, Mother Bears, Polar Bears, and Women's Leadership. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. To explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming, please visit media.bioneers.org. Sometimes motherhood can be the mother of all motivators. When her daughter was born, Vanessa Daniel became intensely aware of the contrast between the vulnerability of her innocent child and the violence and injustice of the world into which she was born. This realization deepened her commitment to mothers everywhere. My life, much of it has been dedicated to supporting mothers and to really seeing mothers not as victims, but as powerful, as capable of changing and transforming the systems that impact their lives and their communities. 
And the way I'm doing that now is I'm heading up Groundswell Fund, we're one of the largest funders of the reproductive justice movement in the United States. And that's a movement that encompasses motherhood in many ways. That means the right to contraception and abortion, which are motherhood issues. That means the right to birthing rights. It means the right to parent your children. Vanessa Daniels' inclusive view of modern American motherhood is rooted in hard historical injustices against mothers that have startling legacies today. So what happened historically in this country with black mothers? You know, the history of coming to this country for many people in shackles, the history of the core part of experience of a mother of having your children sold away from you. Why do I bring that up? That's ancient history, right? That's uncomfortable, right? But what's happening currently is that astronomical numbers of black women in this country are being separated from their children through mass incarceration. I'm talking about a 400% increase in the number of women who have been locked up in this country in the past 20 years. And for black women, that figure is 800%. And when you're a mother, imagine being a pregnant woman when you're incarcerated. You have very little access to proper nutrition or medical care to sustain that pregnancy. You're shackled around your belly, around your ankles, around your wrist. You're shackled to the bed during pregnancy and delivery. I mean, this is, this is motherhood in America, all right? So what we are funding is formerly incarcerated women who are organizing against this. And what they've been able to do is to actually create a pipeline that doesn't go into prison drawing down more funding for family treatment centers where women who have substance abuse problems can heal with their children as an alternative to incarceration and losing their kids to the state. They have won a federal a ban on the practice of shackling pregnant women during labor and delivery, and all federal prisons extended that in many states. They've won visitation rights for women. They've won the rights for more women to be in facilities where they can be housed with their children if they you know, are, end up having to be incarcerated, which the goal is to actually get out of incarceration altogether. Mothers are powerful, right? The Groundswell Fund is changing the story for incarcerated American mothers trapped by unjust policies, by funding mothers themselves to organize for their rights. Current immigration policy separates undocumented mothers from their children, too. There are hundreds of thousands of children who are being stolen from their immigrant mothers right now who are being deported and detained under immigration policy in this country. And many of you may have heard the story of Encarnacion Romero, who's a mother in Missouri. Um, she was detained by the INS at a sting at the poultry plant where she worked. And she was a mother of an 11-month-old. And uh, against her protest, while she was detained, her child was put up for adoption. And when she was released... They said the adoption stands, you have no custody to your child. Why? The judge's reason was because be, by being detained, she had abandoned her child. So, and this is not an isolated incident. This is, this is what's happening with motherhood in America for immigrant women. And so we're funding immigrant women to fight these systems and actually change these policies. Groundswell also supports policy changes for mothers attending high school. Historically, what's happened is that young single mothers were sent away to live in a home with other mothers of illegitimate children. Have you talked to teen mothers today in this country? In public schools, the degree to which they are stigmatized and blamed and not supported and forced out of their constitutional right to an education and opportunity is, is just unconscionable. And so we're funding high school students who have organized and gotten school boards to revamp their policies so that they don't stigmatize and they support young mothers and young parents and they enable them to stay in, in school. Modern Families 
According to the 2010 census, 79% of households in the United States don't contain families that conform to the stereotypical traditional nuclear family model. Today, it's much more likely for a family to have parents of different ethnicities, or two gay dads, or a single mom raising her kids with her mother. Leaders in the reproductive justice movement believe it's time to change the way that people think, feel, and act in support of families. As the executive director of the nonprofit Forward Together, Evelyn Shen is building a multiracial organization with women and girls of color at its core. Forward Together supports local groups to speak up and take action. I want to share with you a story、uh, about how we do that. A woman and her dog were taking a walk on the West Mesa in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the dog started sniffing around. And she called authorities, and they uncovered the bodies of 11 women, young women who were murdered. It was a mass grave. These young women. Many of these women were part of the sex trade industry, and all of them were young women of color. And nobody cared about these young women. When the media started reporting it, they referred to these young women as prostitutes and drug addicts. When the parents reported their daughters missing, the police did nothing. They would not follow up on any leads because they dismissed them as runaways and not worthy of kind of extra effort. These young women were so talked about in such a way and demonized in such a way that the parents of the victims were ashamed to publicly claim their daughters. There is a amazing grassroots organization called Young Women United in New Mexico who decided that they did not want this to happen again to anyone. Young Women United partnered with the Strong Families Initiative to reclaim the identities of the murdered women. They joined forces to shift policies and embrace the eleven young women's dignity, even in death. So they launched an aggressive communications campaign. They held numerous community forums. They brought families to speak to state legislators and policymakers. They talked to the media, and they began to refer to these young women as our sisters, our daughters, our aunties, our mothers, our lovers, and began to encourage people in New Mexico to embrace these young women into their community. And it actually, you could see across time the shifts through people's language. So, in six weeks, State Senator Linda Lopez passed a state resolution that basically mandated that all government officials who were involved in this case refrain from using the terms drug addict and prostitutes when referring to these young women. When they held a community forum and the state senator came, he spoke up and came out as the son of a teenage mother. And he's a straight white man, and he talked about how he felt connected because of who his mother was to these young women. And the media to this day, because the person who did this crime has never been found, when the media talks about this tragedy, they don't use those terms anymore. Changing the story, bridging divides, humanizing the victims of violence, expanding beloved community. Young Women United continues its work on behalf of young women and young mothers who find themselves entangled in the legal system for substance abuse. It's changing policies and changing public attitudes. 
Evelyn Shen says that August 25th was established as a day to celebrate young mothers in New Mexico. So I share this story with you because I think it's a great example of the outcomes of a beloved community when Young Women United demanded that we do not consider poor young women of color as people that can be just thrown away by society, but that we need to embrace everyone in our society, right, as part of our community, as part of our larger family, and part of the people that we care about. And that everyone has a role, regardless of the power that you have, whether you are part of the community, you're part of the family, you're a policymaker, you're in the media, you're an activist, you have a role of creating conditions so that each individual member can thrive. Evelyn Shen, along with Vanessa Daniel, Sandra Steingraber, and Rose Aguiar, brave, innovative women leaders, lifting their voices, speaking truth to power, reaching across differences, and expanding our vision of community, family, and the family of life. Women Changing the Story, Mother Bears, Polar Bears, and Women's Leadership. You can explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming online at media.bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Additional writing by Nina Simons. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management and station relations, Kate Hunter. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by Jamie Sieber at jamiesieber.com. For more music information, please visit media.bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 1013. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and family-owned since 1988. Visit organicvalley.coop. Mary's Gone Crackers, healing the planet through conscious eating. Gluten-free and vegan products since 1999. Learn more at marysgonecrackers.com. John Masters Organics, feel good about looking good. Visit johnmasters.com. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. And by the generous support of listeners like you.